turn with me to two places. If you have your Bibles, if you don't have your Bi- if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hands. Um, the first passage you would know really most. Everyone here would know it pretty well. Most of you probably know it by heart. But Psalm 23. If you can turn to Psalm 23 and John chapter 10. Psalm 23 and John chapter 10. Now, I had prepared, I had planned to, to read from Psalm 23 from the last two weeks ago. I was studying this, I was studying for this uh, study about two weeks ago, and I had already planned on, but, but in this day and age, I hope Psalm 23, I don't care how many times you've heard it, I hope it ministers to you as fresh and new as it ever has, and um, you know, no matter, there's certain things in life that, that, that always minister the same amount. Uh, there's certain foods. A taco ministers to me no matter how many times I've had them. That, that wasn't real spiritual, I know, but I'm just, I just had to make the point that something that you can all relate to. Pizza always ministers to me. You know, and I've had thousands of pieces of pizza, I think, in my lifetime. You know, and it always ministers to me. But, but if those things, which are so temporal and not all that big a deal, how much more the Word of God? Amen? Amen. If those things can minister to and I know ministers are not the right, right word, but you get it. You know, but this really does. So let's look at Psalm 23 and how it relates to Psalm, uh, John chapter 10. Starting verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We have so many people that want everything. God, the longer we were with him, we want less and less stuff. He makes me to lie down. Boy, don't you, aren't you glad when God gives you a good night's sleep? And he makes you rest even when you didn't know you needed it. In green pastures, he leads me beside the still waters. That the turbulent world out there, but he leads us beside store water, still waters. He restores my soul. Only, only God can touch a weary soul. Maybe you're weary here this morning. He leads me in paths of righteousness, not paths of wickedness, righteousness. For his name's sake, it's all about his name. Yea, though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death. People in Ukraine are reading this that are believers. And this means way more to them today than it did a week ago. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Aren't you glad Jesus carries a rod? We need his comfort. We need his correction. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. The work of the Holy Spirit. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Not in Chesterfield County forever. Not in Richmond forever. Not in Chester forever. Not in Powhatan forever. The house of the Lord forever. Isn't that great to know? Turn over to John chapter 10. That's the old covenant over to the new. John chapter 10, our, our text for the day. Starting verse 1, Jesus speaking, red letter in your Bible, Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber, but he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. 
To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his sheep, his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet though they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Let's pray again. Father, we ask for the ministry of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would remove every distraction. In this room and those watching online, Lord, we pray that you would fill this place with the presence of your Holy Spirit. Run Satan right out of the room, Lord, that we would be completely yielded to you. And Lord, we pray that uh, your word would speak mightily. I pray that you would anoint and give me your help and strength. I could never do justice to your truths, but Lord, help me to present them exactly the way that is pleasing and honoring to you. And may we all leave here more transformed, more like Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Everyone, everyone is listening to someone's voice, following someone's leading, being guided, being directed, being influenced, whether they know it or not. You might meet someone who says, not me, I do exactly what I want to do, how I want to do it, and nobody, I mean nobody, influences me whatsoever. I've met people that have told me that. But the Bible says otherwise, doesn't it? The Bible says otherwise. In John, 1 John 5.19, same author as we're reading from John chapter 10. 1 John 5.19, John the Apostle wrote, The whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. And we can see that, can't we? The whole world, the souls of the world are under the sway. Doesn't mean that God can't reverse it, because he's done that with many of us. But we're born under the sway of the wicked one. And Satan is perfectly happy with people thinking they're not being led or misled. He's perfectly happy with them thinking that, that they are just in their own la-la land world. No one, I'm, I'm just, per, I, I'm my own planet and nothing else influences me whatsoever. And then there's a subset of the misled. They're a group that willfully and actively is misleading others to their eternal demise. The Pharisees were in that camp. They, they actually had an additional responsibility. Instead of using it to bring people to God, they were actually leading people away from God. But then there's Jesus. The only person, the only person the world has ever seen who was not swayed by this world and the deceptive and depraved influencer of this world, Satan, even for a thousandth of a second, Jesus was never swayed. You and I have all been swayed at times, haven't we? We can look back and say, Lord, forgive me for that. I did not want to do that again. I did not want to think that again. I did not want, but I was swayed, and I fell. Jesus was never swayed, even for a second. Jesus was the one and only leader that the world has ever seen or ever will see that was perfect, that was sinless, that was holy. And every single word he ever spoke was faithful and true. Every word. Yet it wasn't just Jesus' righteousness. 
his integrity, his character, and his truthfulness that set him apart. Unlike all the other leaders that have come and gone, Jesus truly loved people. Loved them. Loved them at the soul level. I don't know who your favorite president is or was, or your favorite world leader is, but I can guarantee you, even someone you greatly revere, there's some people they can't stand. That's never been Jesus. He loved even his enemies. He loved the souls of people. He cared and does care that people have been deceived first by themselves. We all self-deceive ourselves many times. We lie to ourselves a lot. I will not ever have ice cream again. Ten minutes later. Right, you know, that kind of thing. That's a poor example. But we deceive ourselves. But then the rulers and the leaders of this age, they further deceive. So we have deception upon deception and layer upon layer. So Jesus came in his incarnation, coming from heaven, incarnated into human flesh, not to rule like Pharaoh, not to rule like a king, not to rule like a Caesar or a Kaiser or a Fuhrer, but he came as a shepherd, as a shepherd, searching for lost sheep, and then to care for lost sheep and to lead each and every one that he saves and to bind them up. If you're saved, God has been binding you up from the day you got saved. He's still binding me up. How about you? We still have wounds that need to be bound up. And then to protect his sheep and to keep them and to love them, that separates just the whole construct. No leader in the world calls themselves shepherds. But Jesus did. You see, it's one thing to lead well. But it's a whole different level to love perfectly. Not just to lead well, but to love perfectly and to save eternally. Our leaders around the world can't even save us from a financial crisis. Much less can they save a soul. Can't save us from pandemics. Can't save us from anything. But when Jesus speaks, it's the one voice we need to hear. Amen? It's the one voice we better be listening to that we must hear, that we need to trust, that we need to believe, that we need to follow. And if you're taking notes, you see the title again this morning, The Good and Loving Shepherd. In Matthew's Gospel, in the 18th chapter, I'll put it up on the screen, in Matthew 18, verse 11 through 13, is this passage which you have probably heard. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost... What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine to go to the mountains and seek that one that is stray? And if he should find it, surely I say to you, he rejoices over that one sheep more than the ninety-nine that did not go astray. The heart of the shepherd is for every one of his sheep. Every single sheep. If we go back to the previous scene in chapter 9, because this is all connected to the scene that we saw of Jesus healing that man. If we go back to the previous scene in chapter 9, Jesus finds a man, remember he had been blind from birth, sitting outside the temple. We don't know how far outside the temple, but he's somewhere outside the temple. He's been blind from birth. And we can think of that helpless man 
as a helpless lamb, a little lamb, blind and immobile. That's how, that's how the God of the universe looks at us. No matter, you might see someone that you see, man, he's mixed martial arts champion, he's an NFL star. God looks at him as like a little lamb. That's the way God looks at everybody. You're, like, you're all helpless whether you realize it or not. But I'm smart, I'm talented, I'm a billionaire. God's like, you're a little lamb that needs to be rescued. And man's pride thinks that he's not a lamb that needs to be rescued. They think they're lions when they're not. So Jesus, he sees this man. He, we can think of him as a little lamb. And then, and then, of course, Jesus heals him. So he's been healed. He's been cleansed. Not just his eyes, but his heart. And then what happens next? Well, he's rejected by the religious shepherds of that day. The rabbis, the Pharisees, the priesthood of the temple say, get out of here. They reject him. Instead of a little lamb that they would bring in, and now that Jesus, hey, hey, Jesus, hey, I've healed this lamb, now you start to take care of him. They said, we're not taking care of him, we're booting him out of the temple. Never can he return because he believed in you. But a different rabbi, a different shepherd, a man named Jesus, that's all he knew. He said, I just know a man named Jesus, if you recall from the previous studies, as it were, comes as a shepherd to his defense. And not only healing him, but now caring for him and calling him his own. And in this transition from chapter 9 to chapter 10, because we have a transition here, from chapter 9 to chapter 10, Jesus now draws another contrast between him and everyone else. Him and all other rulers. Him and all other leaders. Him and all, of other, all the other religious leaders. In Zechariah chapter 11, in the Old Testament, it says, Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall completely wither and his eye shall be totally blind. Remember back in chapter 9, verse 40, the Pharisees asked him at the very end of his dialogue and he had healed the man and, and then he said, Look, um, you guys are blind and they, they're looking at themselves like, you're saying we're blind? Are we blind? Are we blind also? And they were fulfilling this kind of prophecy. They're the worthless shepherds. They're blind instead of shepherds that can see and are actually transferring the truth and love of God, instead, they're the worthless shepherd that not only lead the flock, they kicked a man out of the flock. Just said, you're not even allowed back in. So if you're taking notes, we'll look at two things this morning. The first, I've titled The True Shepherd and His Truth. Just two points this morning. The first one, The True Shepherd and His Truth. And you might be saying, when you look at that title... You might be thinking, if you're thinking, it's okay. Isn't that redundant? Is it redundant to say this, the true shepherd is true? It's not redundant if you think about it like this. If Jesus would have come to this earth and walked this earth and never said a single word. And there was times in his ministry he didn't say anything. Remember one time he goes in the temple and says he just looks around. He just observes everything. 
He didn't say anything, but he did do something. He cleared it out. He didn't say a word. Sometimes when mom and dad don't say a word, <laughs> it speaks a lot, right? There's, in front of Pilate, Jesus didn't say anything. He opened not his mouth. I mean, there was a time that he did, but there was a time where he just stopped and said, no more. I'm not saying anything else. But if Jesus had come to this earth and he just looked around and observed humanity, imagine if he was doing it with a notepad, too. But if he just looked around and didn't say anything, he would still be true because he's holy, he's righteous, he's sinless, he's perfect, he's full of truth. But he didn't. And thankfully, he did not come and just remain silent. Jesus spoke the truth. He cried out with a loud voice at times. He spoke the truth that we might know the truth and that we might be set free from the eternal consequences of the lies we might otherwise believe. Romans 1 talks about the lie, and basically the, the lie encompasses all lies, the lie that we don't need God, anything else falls under that. Or that we can be our own gods, if you will. That's what Satan and heaven, I will ascend to the Most High. So that lie that we can be our own God, every other sin will fall underneath it to the complete destruction of, of civilizations and nations and everything else. But Jesus, he came and still comes to sheep that are headed over the cliff. And we've got billions of people that are headed over the cliff. Sheep running in the wrong direction. Into the abyss of hell and are completely oblivious to it. Most people you meet are completely oblivious that they are a sheep and that they're headed the wrong direction. They don't know that God considers them a sheep. They don't even think of these terms. They don't think of leaders as a shepherd. Jesus wants to change their whole thinking from the inside out. They don't know they're headed in the wrong direction. They don't know they're on the broad road to destruction. But I'm so glad that Jesus did speak. Aren't you? Amen. That we have his word. That we have his words, plural. That he still speaks. And first, that he saves us and has saved many of us in this room. And then he leads us. Not just save us, but he leads us. It would be like if you pull someone... If you pull something that I have... Um, a pastor that does a lot of work with the Coast Guard. He, he just spoke at the Coast Guard Academy a couple weeks ago. And the, the Coast Guard might pull someone out of the water. But once they pull you out of the water, they don't take care of you. I mean, they do at that moment. But they're not like, going to take your life and say, now we're going to take... Jesus, when he pulls you out, he shepherds you the rest of your life. He doesn't say, all right, you're, you're back to shore. You're on your own. He then walks with you the rest of your life. He doesn't just rescue you. He stays with you. That's what we saw in the 23rd Psalm. He's there with us in every phase of life. Now let's look at the framework and the imagery that Jesus uses here in these first seven verses. Um, I don't have time to reread them, but let me just go through it. Hopefully you remember the sheepfold. You said Jesus says here, uh, Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way is a thief and a robber. So let's look at the sheepfold for just a second. The sheepfold in ancient shepherding 
And still in some parts of the world today, particularly parts of the Middle East and North Africa, um, a town or a village would have a shared-use sheepfold, a shared common-use sheepfold. So if you've ever seen, they would kind of build it with stone, and it would be high enough that the sheep you know, would be enclosed in there. So you have this sheepfold that had to be a high enough wall that... Uh, and you know, sheep and goat, they'll try and climb anything. So you got to put it high enough and it's enclosed. So they're locked, But there's one door to the sheepfold. And what would happen is in these shared or common use sheepfolds, shepherds would come at the end of the day and they would bring their flocks in through this one door. And all, the, let's say you had 15 shepherds in a village. Each one of their flocks would all fit into the town or the village's shared sheepfold. But while the shepherds would then um, go home for the night, there would be a porter or a gatekeeper who was the one that let the shepherds bring the sheep in in the first place, and he would shut and lock the door, and that porter would stand watch over the door and be the gatekeeper throughout the night while the shepherds would go home and get some sleep, and they would come back to the same door entrance in the morning. And during the night, the sheep would get mixed up because the sheep just kind of roam around, and so you've got different flocks now all mixed together in the night. But come morning, a shepherd would come, and first of all, the shepherds, in many cases, amazingly could even pick out their sheep among other sheep. They got to know the sheep that well. But even if they didn't, if they just spoke their voice, only their sheep would come out. Some of you have dogs and cats that know your voice. If I talk to them, they're growling. You talk to them, they're happy, right? So uh, I've seen this in action. So uh, I know from firsthand experience that some of your pets know your voice, but don't know my voice. But a shepherd would come and say, speak, and those sheep would come out through that one door. Now Jesus was, uh, Jesus, what Jesus is making clear here, it was common knowledge to the Jewish hearers. They lived in a part of the world where shepherding was normal. They, were, they understood everything he was talking about. They understood sheepfolds. They understood people stealing sheep. They understood um, everything he gave as an illustration, the sheep and the shepherd and all that stuff. Um, and they understood that anyone attempting to enter the sheepfold, to climb up the walls, to get in through anything but the door where the porter or the gatekeeper was, was to try and steal or take something by force. They understood that somebody was up to no good climbing the walls, especially in the night. A legitimate shepherd would not do that. Only a thief or someone with evil intentions would be doing that. But the, the genuine shepherds, they would come and bring the sheep in, and they'd come back in the morning and bring the sheep out through the one door, only one door. Furthermore, even if some pseudo-shepherd didn't try and climb the wall, but said, hey, those are my sheep, and we've got a guest porter here, I'll call to him. The sheep wouldn't follow him anyway because they wouldn't recognize the voice. Jesus said, so it doesn't work. You literally have to steal the sheep because the sheep will not follow another voice. The only way is to take them by force. Does that sound familiar in the world these days, right? <laughs> only other way. The Lord, because the sheep know his voice, it tells that the Lord, he seals and protects his own. Has them in the sheepfold. Notice verse 4, it says, He goes, in verse 4, it says, He goes before them. Aren't you glad Jesus goes before us? Yeah. 
He's already in tomorrow. He knows what next year is going to look like. He's in 10 years from now if the world is still here. He goes before us. And William MacDonald had this to say. He said, He does not ask them to go anywhere that he himself has not gone first. He is ever out in front of the sheep as their Savior, their guide, and their example. Jesus does not tell us to take up our cross and follow him without having already taken up the cross. Everything we're following in his footsteps. Man, I'm so glad he's out in front. Because I don't know enough to be out in front. He was the fire by night in the wilderness. He was the cloud by day. He led Moses and the children of Israel. He's still leading us because we can't tell. Uh, as he told Joshua, he goes, you've not gone this way before. I tell that verse to myself, every day I get up, I have not gone that way before. I've never lived in tomorrow. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know if there's something way worse than Ukraine 10 months from now, 10 years from now. I haven't gone there, but I haven't, even in your personal life, what you might hear in your personal life, Lord, how do I handle this? He's gone before us. In verse 6, though, we see uh, they're hearing all this. Verse 6 says Jesus uh, used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. They understood the objects he was using. But in other words, they were saying, yeah, we know what sheepfolds are. We know what sheep are. We know what people that steal sheep are. We know what shepherds are. But what's this got to do with you and us? What's it got to do with us? The sheepfold in the context here represents the household of Israel. The sheepfold in the first seven verses, he's going to make a transition, which we'll look at in a second. But the sheepfold in verses 1 through 7, in the context, it stands for the household of Israel. Jesus came first to where? The house of Israel. The sons of Jacob. The sheepfold is the house of Israel, but I believe there's expanded meaning as Jesus continues in this parable. The doorkeeper. Who is the doorkeeper? Now there are some different thoughts on who the doorkeeper is. Some uh, believe that the doorkeeper is the Old Testament prophets. Some believe the doorkeeper is John the Baptist himself. Some believe it is the Old Testament scriptures as the doorkeeper and then Jesus comes through the door and kind of, here I am, the, the Messiah himself. Others believe, and this is where I lean, I believe the doorkeeper is the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is the doorkeeper. And I believe, one of the main reasons I believe it's the Holy Spirit is there's a beautiful picture hiding in plain sight here. It says the sheep are in, the doorkeeper keeps watch over the sheep. The shepherds go home for the night and the doorkeeper keeps watch over the sheep. Who does it sound like who has gone back to the father's house for a little while while the doorkeeper has been watching over us? The Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that will invite Jesus back down at the Father's command. But until Jesus comes back and takes us, the Holy Spirit is the one that keeps us during this time. And so we have the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, uh, of course, if you want to say, well, I think it's still the prophet. Well, the Holy Spirit was involved in all that anyway. Uh, the Holy Spirit prepared the way. The Holy Spirit authored the scriptures that prophesied of Jesus. He was the dove that came upon Jesus. And it's the Spirit that verified the ministry of Jesus. Now, likewise, the Spirit himself brings the sheep to the shepherd. And the Holy Spirit to this day brings the shepherd 
to the sheep. He's the one that brings the connection. That's why we pray, Holy Spirit, please speak to that person. It's the Holy Spirit that brings sheep to the shepherd. And brother and sister, if you're in Christ, praise God, we have a doorkeeper of our hearts. Because it said the Holy Spirit's the seal of our hearts. A salvation keeper. A promise keeper. Let's move on. Jesus goes, uh, they don't understand it. Look at verse 7. So they don't understand what he said. They don't, that makes no sense to them why he would use this analogy. We already know all that stuff. What's it got to do with you? What's it got to do with us? Jesus goes on in verse 7. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who, he doesn't say the doorkeeper. That's still the Holy Spirit, I believe. He said, I'm the door. I am the door. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling, he who is not a shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. I love this next, I love how Jesus phrased, this is one of the, just classic. Jesus says, the hireling flees because he's a hireling. The paycheck guy leaves just because he gets a paycheck. We'll get to that in a minute. The hireling leaves because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. Your neighbors will never care about your kids like you do. Amen. Right? But if Jesus cares about the sheep, he goes on and says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, that's us, amen, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and they will be one flock, and one, and have one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. Therefore, there was division among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, He is a demon. He is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? The blind man is still the center of the little sheep that's been healed. And they're still talking about this blind man that got healed. But Jesus has moved to help them see their condition and who he is in yet another way. The illustration... If you're taking notes, this is our second point this morning. The good shepherd and his love. The good shepherd and his love. This illustration, and again, they understood all the sheepfold, shepherds, all that stuff. But it may have gone over their heads, and obviously it did go over their heads. But it shouldn't have gone over their heads. It, they should have remembered that God raised up Abraham, Moses, and David. What's the common Thread of those three men, all three were shepherds. Moses, Abraham, Moses, David. They were revealed. Wouldn't you guys agree that Abraham, Moses, and David were revered among the Jewish people? That's like the big three. That's like if you're a Yankee fan, Joe DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle, and you know, there's, there's one, Babe Ruth, right? That's, that's it right there, maybe. 
Lou Gehrig fans are saying, yeah, they should be in there too. But, um, <laughs> but for the Jewish people, Abraham, Moses, and David, they knew they were shepherds. They were foreshadows. They were foreshadowing to the great shepherd. Each were shepherds of sheep that later became shepherds of men. Did you know that? That Abraham, Moses, and David all first shepherded sheep, then they shepherded people. But they had to... God has you and I practice on things that are lower responsibility until we can... All right, now you've been faithful. Now you can take it to higher responsibility. These were deeply knowledgeable men of the law, men that uh, were supposedly the spiritual ones among the people, men that had memorized vast volumes of the law, and they couldn't see Jesus in this parable at all. They might have thought, if they knew this shepherd illustration, this shepherd metaphor, they might have thought of, Jeremiah 3.15, and I will give you shepherds, according, plural, shepherds, according to my heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. God had always talked about shepherds, not, you know, different parts of the Old Testament, I'm saying, but speaking about shepherds that were authentic and speaking about shepherds that were misleading the people, beating the sheep. False prophets, false shepherds, false leaders. But he said, I'll give you shepherds according to my heart. And by the way, when Jesus is the good shepherd, when he picked those 12 disciples, obviously Judas falls away and he's replaced by the apostle Paul. Those 12 men become under shepherds of the great shepherd. I mean, I'm a shepherd, but I'm really just, I'm an under shepherd. There's only one true shepherd. Everybody else is an under shepherd. Men, you're, you're called to be shepherds of your home. Good shepherds of your home that feed your families with knowledge and understanding. And even if they didn't think of, like this passage, how could they not think of Psalm 23? When they heard Jesus talking about that, they oh, whoa, whoa, I think I've heard a, I think I've heard a chapter in Psalm that talks about a shepherd. Right? Yeah. I mean, I, how could they not think of this, the one sentence, the Lord yeah. is the shepherd, right? The Lord is my shepherd. What would make them not think, oh yeah, you know what, I think we've all heard this, we're, we're the men that teach the law. Didn't God say he was a shepherd? Maybe he's talking something about that, but the whole thing... None of it made any sense. It would be one thing if they would have said something like this to Jesus. Uh, are you comparing yourself to Moses? Are you trying to make a comparison to Psalm 23? Is there something along that lines? But no, they were so blinded by their disdain for Jesus, by their rejected, rejection of Jesus, they couldn't remotely see Jesus in the parable at all. Couldn't remotely see him in this. Now, they were in the parable too, and it's not good news, the part they're in the parable. <laughs> They're also in the parable, and they're in the explanation of the parable. And the first part, what there is that they're the strangers, that the sheep don't even know their voice. But then it gets worse. They actually are not just strangers. They become destructive with the sheep. And you can see, remember, they wanted to pick up stones and stone Jesus. They would stone anybody else, too, that crossed their path. Now, we see Jesus now explain in yet another way. Everything that he had, everything he said, he's explaining in yet another way. We've talked about this numerous times. 
Good teachers know that to get something drilled into the student, knowing it well enough that they can become the teacher, every goal of a good teacher is their student can be able to teach. And those who teach learn. It's a truth, it's a truth that you know, the more you teach something, you're learning it as you're teaching it, but then that they should be learning it. And you sometimes have to say, well, let me try it again this way. Let me put it to you this way. And finally it's saying, oh, now I got it. You know, when, when your teacher put the fourth illustration on the board, you finally, oh, now it makes sense. And not because I was, just because I was daydreaming. That's part of the problem sometimes too. But because it just finally clicked. And so Jesus gives them all these different ways to understand who they are and who he is. And he explains for all the ages what we still have here in our Bibles, precisely who he is, why he's come in the first place, and what he does and continually does and continues to do to those that belong to him. Uh, look here at verse 7. He says, uh, Most assuredly I say to you, some of your Bibles, uh, mine's New King James, some of your Bibles may say verily, verily. Um, it, what it really means is amen, amen. The Greek word is amen here, and I did a whole message, I don't know, a couple of years back on just the word amen. Amen is a universal word. It almost is spelled exactly the same in all the languages of the world. Um, we believe it goes back to the Hebrew word aman, which means uh, believe, but when amen is used at the beginning of a discourse, so if you start a sentence with amen, verily, verily, or amen, amen, if you start a discourse with amen, it means truly truth. Truly truth. This is absolute truth. And if, if you do amen at the end of a discourse, it means so be it. I agree. We say that now. If I say amen, you say amen, and you say we agree. But if you start with something, amen, amen, it's true. It's true truth. It's truly true. You can bank on it. And on the end of amen again. So be it. We agree. So Jesus is saying, you can know for certain that I am the door. That's his opening remarks. He says, verily, verily, most, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. If you've been following along with our seven I am statements, this is the first time we see this statement from Jesus. And this will be I am statement number three of the seven I am statements um, throughout the book of John. This is the third I am statement. But notice Jesus' wording here. He has transitioned even from the first seven verses. There's a transition, and it, it involves the sheepfold. It involves a few other things here too. Uh, Jesus' transition says, I am the door of the sheep. Not the sheepfold. I am the Because... Jesus didn't come only, he came first to the sheepfold, but not only to the sheepfold. Amen? So if you're a Gentile here, that's really good news, right? He came first to the sheepfold, but not only to the sheepfold. So he says, I'm the, I am the door of the sheep. Jesus is saying that here, that the, and there's another uh, point that we need to understand what he's saying by that. Remember that these men did revere Abraham, they did revere Moses, they did revere David, and remember Jesus had already told them, I knew Abraham, and you don't do Abraham's works. They were not of Abraham's faith. They still had a rejection of God, so they didn't have genuine faith. What Jesus is saying here, the redeemed of Israel, the true saints of God, which predate Israel, 
For example, Enoch was before Abraham, right? So Enoch, we know, walked with God. He wasn't Jewish. How did he get to heaven? He's a sheep from another sheepfold. Not the Jewish sheepfold, but he is outside. So Enoch was before, for example. But all the saints of old, including the Jewish saints of old, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way up, David, Solomon, each one, they did not come into heaven through the door of the law. They came through the door of Christ. Jesus said, I'm the door of the sheep. The law is not the door into heaven. The law points to the door. Amen? Paul said, the law was my tutor bringing me to Christ. The law is very important. The Ten Commandments are great. They're now written on the tablets of our hearts when we're saved. We don't hate the Ten Commandments. We love the Ten Commandments. But you can't get saved by the Ten Commandments because you can't keep all ten. Right? But you come to the door of Christ who is perfect, sinless, in the blood of Christ. So Jesus, I'm the door of the sheep. The law points to the door, but it's not the door. I'm the door. They didn't get all this. They didn't even get the they didn't get the baseline analogy. They're not getting what I'm telling you here. So there's no way that this is more we understand now uh, after the fact. In verse 8, he goes on in verse 8. Um, all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, uh, but the sheep did not hear them. Uh, Israel had their share of false prophets and false shepherds, men that defiled the temple, men that led the people into idolatry, men that were supposed to be the priesthood and actually uh, help the people, um, you know, again, follow other gods. And But those of genuine faith, the Nehemiahs, the Ezras, they never followed the false, did they? No, they spoke out against it, but they never followed them. And Jesus said that they won't, they won't follow, my sheep won't follow those shepherds. In verse 9, uh, Jesus goes on and he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I am the door. If you're, um, as we look at that, at this um, word he says, um, if anyone, anyone enters me, he will be saved. Anyone means anyone. Anyone can be saved. And it's only through Christ. He said, I'm the door. Anyone can be saved through me. Salvation is not a religion, but a person. The person of Jesus Christ. And the word saved here, you might meet people that say, you Christians always saying we need to be saved. I'm, I've met, I've had my share of discussions of sharing the gospel with people that think that we came up with this term saved. I'm like, we did not come up with the term saved. It is not our word. It's the Lord's word. It's right there. You just read it. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters me, enters by me, he will be saved. The word saved is not our word. We simply present it to people. It's his word, and it's his wording. And it's a rich word. It's a beautiful word. I put this, uh, there's the Greek word, uh, sozo. Uh, it's an awesome word for our souls. Uh, the word saved, what it means is to rescue from danger or destruction, to keep safe and sound. To save a suffering one. To preserve. Who wouldn't love these terms? Amen. Who in Ukraine wouldn't immediately resonate with those words? 
I was saved from certain death. I was saved from destruction. I was saved. I was suffering. Who wouldn't love those words? But people in America that don't want Jesus hate the word saved. Oh, you're always talking about being saved. Saved, 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 saved. What does it even mean? Saved from what? I'm glad you asked. Well, there really is hell. That's what we're saved from. The eternal punishment of sin. By the way, his hearers, the Pharisees, all believed in hell. They loved to tell people they were going... They, they loved to tell, you sinners and fornicators and all... And these guys thought they were not on their way to hell when in fact they were. They thought everyone else was on their way to hell. They believed in hell. They just believed they were safe from it and everybody else was going there. Now Jesus taught on hell, whether we like it or not. We need to know it. Uh, just, just one chapter to read if you want to say... Well, Refresh my memory. Read Luke chapter 16. Just read Luke 16. I'm not even going to tell you what story. You go read Luke, read Luke 16. Wow, yeah, Jesus is really descriptive about the place called hell and warned of it numerous times. Numerous times. Jesus never hid heaven or hell. He talked about both places and the only two options when you slip into eternity. In Matthew 10, 28, Jesus speaking. Not Pastor Tim, not anybody else. This is Jesus speaking. And do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body. That's how people like John Huss or Peter or Paul could say, Go ahead and kill me. I'll be in the presence of Jesus in a millisecond. This world isn't my home. That's why the pastors in Ukraine that I know are standing strong. They're like, this isn't our home. That you can kill the body, but we're not going to hell. But they want to reach people that are not ready for the body to go. Because the soul's not ready to go. If your soul's ready, you've already said, in a, in a way, you've already kissed goodbye to this body a long time. Those of you getting older, you've been kissing goodbye to this body a long time now, right? You've been like... That ship sailed about 48 or whatever it was. And it, it, it's just in a whole, it's in a slow decline. But the soul is ready. It doesn't have to experience this. Because true love warns. By the way, hell is not a topic that I enjoy talking about ever. I don't enjoy talking. I wish it was not entrusted me. Oh Lord, can you just give that to everyone else? But hell exists just like war exists. You can act like war doesn't exist, but when it comes upon you, you realize you have to talk about it whether you like it or not. These parents that have to explain, these little kids that are weeping and crying because a, a fighter jet flew over and bombed, they, ha they can't tell, war does not exist. Just It's a figment of your imagination. Hell exists. It was created for Satan and his demons, and then mankind fell, and then... It exists. And Jesus said, I, that's what I've come to save mankind from. But if we come to the door to Jesus, he will save us. He, he won't cast you out if you come. And not like that. He not just saves us, but he gives us green pastures. It says they'll go in and out and find pastures. This term that he's using, it's a picture of security. It's a picture of security in him, of him sustaining us, of satisfaction. Jesus satisfied. Remember the Rolling Stones, they had that song, I can't get no satisfaction? That isn't true with Jesus. You can find satisfaction. That dumb song is true if you haven't come to Christ. But if you've come to Christ, 
He brings satisfaction and security and he sustains us. And by the way, the word, the Bible you're holding, it is your pasture. You feed on the word of God the rest of your life. And by the way, in heaven, we'll still be feeding on the Word of God for all eternity in a different realm and a dimension that we understand, but we'll feed on the Word of God for all eternity. But the Word becomes our pasture. Moving quickly here, verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. And I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. The thief ultimately is Satan. We understand that Satan roars, goes about the world like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour and he will use the Stalins and he will use the Hitlers and he will use the Putins and he will use the Xi Pings and he'll use Hollywood and he'll use pleasures and he'll use idolatry he'll use anything to destroy and kill people at the soul level but obviously that happens uh, physically as well quite a bit and Satan is obviously the ultimate thief but he also uses men and women, and sadly, religious leaders, many religious leaders had drawn people. Uh, I told the first service, you know, so sad. I, I was a kid, I remember when Jim Jones led a whole bunch of people down to South America, and they drank Kool-Aid and died following a man that, I'm like, how did anyone believe this wacko? I mean, how did, I mean, but they became brainwashed, and it started with actually someone twisting real scripture, taking an actual Bible and twisting it, as Peter warned of, people that twist the scripture to their own destructions, not only their own, but other people's as well. And there's so many other lies in this world that offer a substitute for life, but Jesus offers real life and offers it abundantly. And if we're not experiencing that abundantly, we need to be abiding in him because that's where the abundant Jesus that I've come, that your John chapter 15, that your joy might be full. There's times in my life, I'll admit, where my joy has not been full. And every time I can say that there's something distracting me from abiding in Jesus. But the more I abide in him, the joy flows because it's supernatural, just like the salvation was supernatural. The joy is supernatural because salvation and the work of the Spirit. And not only that, he offers that abundantly for all eternity. Verse 11, he goes on, he says, I am the good shepherd. Now this would be, if you're taking count, this is now the fourth I am statement, and obviously two of them are back to back here in chapter 10, where he says, I'm the door, and I'm the good shepherd, in the same discussion. So this is the, the I am statement number four. Jesus said of himself in uh, Mark 10, 18, no one is good but God. But of course, Jesus is God. Therefore, Jesus is good. And the word good is a, is a rich word too. Um, it means excellent or eminent or sustaining. That word really doesn't apply to us, does it? When you say, he's a good man, is he excellent, eminent, and, um, is he excellent, eminent, and surpassing? That's what I meant to say. Surpassing. Jesus surpasses us all. He really is excellent, and it's not an over-exaggeration of the word. When you say, this is awesome, when something's not awesome. This is amazing, when it's not amazing, right? Jesus is excellent and surpassing all. He's eminent above all things. Jesus is all those things and above all things. And Jesus, he goes on to say, I'm the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. Jesus didn't die a hero's death that many people, you know, there's, there's people in the Ukraine right now that will die a hero's death, some already have, that have fought hard for their country or their family. That's happened 
thousands if not millions of times in world history where people have fought to the better end for a good reason to fight for their family, to fight for their nation, to hold on to something that matters. Jesus did something no one else. He went and died for the vile people that hated him. It's a completely different paradigm, right? It's not just staying and fighting. It's going where there wasn't a fight to die for people that hate you. It's willingly going to the cross in the face of all of that. And that's what separates Jesus. But then those that he does save, they become his sheep. His sheep. Not just a sheep, but his sheep. And even his earthly ministry, once he gathered disciples, he would love them and serve them. But that's not true of the hirelings. Verse 12, a hireling is one who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep, flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. When you think hirelings today, think mega millionaire pastors flying around on private jets while some of the people in their church can barely pay the rent. And then they're telling them, you need to just keep giving more and give ten times more and, and my mansion's going to help you get a mansion. False teachers. Pharisees of that day. The Pharisees that were there in the presence of Jesus. But a hireling, it's, it, a, lot, a lot of times it's just as simple as this. A hireling is just someone who's collecting a paycheck. You know, some of you here, you serve in the armed forces and you, and you serve a reason and that will, you know, the Russian soldiers lately, you can see, they're not motivated. They don't have a reason. They don't even know why they're there, some of them. But when you are a shepherd because you care about people, it makes all the difference in the world. If you're just collecting a paycheck, I've, I've talked to a couple pastors and they don't even believe what the Bible says. In this town, I've talked to a couple pastors, they don't even believe what the Bible says. I'm like, why do you even do this? Why don't you just get another job? Right. Well, the money's good. Really? The judgment day is not going to be good. The judgment day is not going to be good at all. You're in the wrong profession. But some people, the hirelings, it's just about paycheck, it's about position, it's about self-indulgence, it's about pride, it's about a career. And if wolves come, they don't care if the sheep get torn up. They don't care if the world... They just don't care. Jesus says they don't care about... But he says, I care about the sheep. And by the way, the Bible warns about this. Go back to Jeremiah. There we go. Jeremiah 23, 1. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. There is a severe judgment coming for those that pretend to be shepherds. That pretend to be shepherds. And then uh, as we kind of pull this to a close, verses 14 through 16, Jesus goes on and says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. I am known by my own. I don't only know Jesus, but not, Jesus knows me, but I know him. And the same is true. If you know Jesus, if he knows you, you know him. And the Father knows me. And even so, I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring in, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Uh, we talked about uh, in the Wednesday series the sacrificial love of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 13, that agape giving sacrificial love. And Jesus, for his sheep, he knows them, cares for them, he lays down his life for them. You and I have to be willing to sacrifice for love, to say, no, no, this is out of love I do this. And that's what love is, it's that sacrificial, it's not, it's nothing in it for you kind of love. And that's what Jesus has done for us. 
And in verse 16, he says, And I have other sheep which are not of this fold. And so uh, Jesus did not come just to that sheepfold of Israel. But he was also thinking about sheep in 2022. We've had people that are brand new sheep just this year that have gotten saved. Those sheep, he was thinking about the future sheep. He was thinking about the sheep outside of Israel. thinking about the sheep in Egypt, England, Singapore, Thailand, all around the world thinking about sheep in other places. I have other sheep, but they're going to be one shepherd. When we get to heaven, it's going to be one big flock with sheep that speak different languages, and yet we all understand every other language. And all these other cultures, and Jesus says, but there'll only be one shepherd. He, he, no other shepherd. He's on the only door, and I'm the only shepherd Amen. for all of those sheep. And maybe there's someone here today that he's thinking of that's not yet in the flock or the fold that he's ready to bring in if they're willing to come. And he's also the shepherd as we look at these last couple of verses. Therefore, my father, lo- he says, my father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. He's not only a shepherd, he's also the lamb. As John already said, behold the Lamb of God. He's a shepherd that's also the Lamb that will lay down his life on the cross. He's talking about really stretching out his arms there on the cross. But he said, I'll raise it up again. And I know it's in your Bibles, but I have verse 18 up on the screen because it's been a wow verse for me my whole life. Uh, Jesus said, um, no one takes it, speaking of his life, from me. But I lay it down on myself. And I have power to lay it down. And I have power to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. It takes great power to die for sinners. And it takes great power to conquer sin and death. Amen? Amen. To lay down your life. So the more you become like Jesus, he gives you the power to die to self and the power to live the risen life. That's the power he gives. The power to die to self. When when Paul says, I can do all things through Christ to strengthen me, he's not talking about, I can score more touchdowns than you. He says, I can die to self. And you can't. (laughs) Because you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. I can die to self, but also live the risen life. And Jesus said, I have the power to lay down my life. I have the power to raise it up. And that's the power, the same power of the Holy Spirit he gives to us. Now, after he says all this, they all say, we believe, right? No. Therefore, there was division among the Jews. They said, some of them said again, he has a demon. I don't know how they arrive at that conclusion. But the father of lies is whispering in their ears. The father of the demons is speaking to them. There's division among them. But one question about it. What about our divided hearts? What what are some of the things Jesus said that we're still divided about in our minds that we don't need to be divided anymore? That Jesus said, just obey. Just trust and obey. For there's no other way. We don't need to be divided about. As we close, brother and sister, what will we do with Jesus? Are Are you his sheep? Has he brought you into his fold? Is he leading you right now? Is is the Lord leading you? Are you following him? Are you going in and out to pasture led by his spirit? Are you listening to his voice? Are you listening to the voice of this world? We need to be listening to one voice more than ever. Jesus, Amen. amen? Father, we thank you for this time, this morning. You sent your son not to come and dominate the world, not to come and destroy the world, but to come and save the world as a loving shepherd, a good shepherd, to present 
the only door that we could enter. We couldn't enter through the works of the law. We couldn't enter by keeping the law. We couldn't keep it if we tried. But Lord, to enter the doorway of Christ and His mercy and His grace and then to be kept by the doorkeeper of the Holy Spirit. Lord, this is the only way to be saved. And Lord, if we are saved, we want to be sheep that are more tuned to your voice, listening to your voice, responding to your voice, and Lord, shutting out all the voices and the distractions of this world that would lie and keep us from that abundant life that you have promised.